Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. I'm Dave Delaney. If you haven't noticed, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus over the last several months. Uh, A big revelation was found. I have ADHD, and that explains a whole lot. And of course, naturally, as a veteran podcaster, I started another podcast all about it, and it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels, and you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think. Thanks. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. A teammate of mine grabbed my sport coat, my suit jacket from behind. Hmm. I remember I had a big Dunkin' Donuts coffee and my laptop bag in the other hand. And he pulled me out of the elevator. Like as the door was closing with this regional manager and I guess it was his executive assistant, you know, on the elevator. Like I spilled the coffee. I turn around, you know, kind of like WTF. Like what in the world just happened? Yeah. And he said, you never, ever ride on the elevator with hit with that guy. And I remember thinking, I never, ever want to come across that way. Nice. 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 Nice with Dave Delaney. Welcome to the Nice Podcast, all about communication, collaboration, and becoming better leaders. Today, I'm chatting with Ben Landers, the CEO of Blue Corona. They help home service companies grow and measure marketing solutions that increase sales, reduce costs, and differentiate brands online. Ben, thank you for joining me on the Nice Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dave. So I always like to open with this question, which is, what's the nicest thing someone has done for you recently? The nicest thing someone has done for me recently. You know, it's, it's funny. This wasn't necessarily recent, but the nicest thing that I can remember that was ever done for me is actually work related. We have a, um, we do a weekly huddle. Hmm. So an all company meeting, um, where we get the team together on Monday morning, it's like 15 minutes and we go through company news, quick update on how we're doing towards our quarterly goals, insights. So someone will, people share things that happen within the business that we want others on the team, you know, may not be exposed to. And then, you know, I'll, I'll sometimes end with a thought, something for people to keep top of mind, you know, as the week goes. Hmm. And so one time this was pre COVID. So we were in person, we had an office in Maryland with about 30 people and an office in Charlotte, North Carolina with about 60 people. And, um, we get to the insights portion of the huddle and someone that had never shared kind of like, a, uh, accounts payable, um, you know, HR administrative, uh, person said, uh, you know, Hey, I have a share and I need the computer. I need to take control of the computer. And I thought, uh, what could Michelle possibly be sharing that she needs to take the control of the computer. Right. And she pops on a YouTube video. I had gone on vacation for a week. And while I was gone, I had no idea, but it was like boss's appreciation day or something goofy. 
And um, they had made this video, which is on YouTube if you want to check it out. Um, and it is, I mean, it's like the nicest thing anyone's ever done. Um, I certainly wasn't expecting it. We have a couple layers of, of management. And so you know, I'm not directly managing most of the people on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm an easy crier. And I was like blinking furiously. <laughs> I didn't start crying in front of like 30 employees in Maryland and then all the people that were watching from afar. And, and so it, that was a couple of years ago. But when you asked that, that yeah. was one of those ones where you're just like, I can't possibly deserve this. I love that. I love the fact that they, they took the time to do that and, and to, to yeah, usually get like a card, you, with you know, with a yeah. Starbucks, you know, gift card. And it's like, what do I need that for? You know, I'm the, I'm the owner of the company. I don't you know, need stuff like that or like yeah. the card that says like, have a great day, you know, signed name. <laughs> you know, like, like don't do that. Um, so it was awesome. And I'll, I'll never forget that one. That's, that's super cool. The, uh, and, and as far as getting misty goes, I'll, I'll be 50 in April. And, uh, um, I was listening to WTF Mark. Do you know Mark Marin, the comedian podcaster? No. Okay. No. It, it, it doesn't matter, but he's, he's a pretty popular guy. But anyway, he, uh, in his own right, um, uh, he was talking, he's like in his, I guess, mid fifties probably at this point, but he was talking on an episode once a long time ago about suddenly like when he turned, when he turned around 45 or so, he was watching like one of those Cottonelle commercials with the, you know, the kittens and the rolling <laughs> toilet paper. And he started yeah. weeping and he's like, what the hell is happening to me? <laughs> and I, I, I I'm get, like that now I too. that. I don't get that, but I get the, uh, you know, I have a 13 year old, I have a 13 year old son and an 11 year old daughter married. Um, and you know, we'll be sitting there watching like Rocky where you know, Rocky two, where, you know, his wife's in a coma and then she wakes up and says, Rocky, you know, when, and like, I'm over there just sobbing and my kids are like, dad, all right. Um, so yeah, it's, and it's, and then my wife now will call it out, you know, like, are the water, have the waterworks started? <laughs> Nothing ruins a good cry more than your wife, you know, pointing all the attention um, you know, at you. <laughs> and you'll have plenty to cry about soon. I mean, I hope you don't, but with an 11 year old daughter, uh, <laughs> yeah, my, uh, <laughs> our, our, our kids are 14 and 15 and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, things uh, things have taken a turn. <laughs> They're great. Don't get me wrong. They are. We are very lucky. But gosh, wow. Yeah, yeah. teen years. Whoo. So uh, obviously, culture is clearly a, a big and very important part of your business, and and that video is a great indicator uh, of that. Of you know, kind of surprising you with that. Um, Blue Blue Corona is also a nine time Inc. five thousand company, um, which is wonderful. And congratulations, first of all, for for that. That those are some big milestones there. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate it. We uh, yeah. my first job out of college was with a company called HotJobs.com, and my first day, you know, a senior guy on the team was giving me a tour of the office, and there were these huge boxes of Inc. magazine with Richard Johnson, who was our CEO, on the cover, and I was like. He was like, that's our CEO on the cover of Inc. Magazine. And I'm like, what is Inc. Magazine? And he's like, looked at me like, seriously? And he's like, this is like the Bible for privately held, fast-growing companies. And we were selling HR, you know, recruitment software. So those were great companies to target. So starting my career at a company like that, and then every other company I've worked for except for one, um, all pursued that as a goal. So when I started Blue Corona, that was sort of like 
that was like goal number one. Let's qualify. Let's qualify for it. And then let's beat. I had a mentor and a business partner and I said, I'd like to outrank him <laughs> you know, in our first year of eligibility. And, you know, we're really competitive like that. So that's, and then we just kept that snowball rolling really. And so what year did you first get one of the uh, awards there? You've been blue. Corona. Was, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I think it was 2012 was our first year. You know, you got to do at least a million dollars in revenue, you know, to be, um, or I'm sorry, at least a hundred thousand in revenue to be eligible, mm. you know, privately held and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, you know, so the first year that we, that we did, we did like a hundred and, $12,000 or $124,000. And then three years later, it's based on your three growth rate. We had done like 2.2 or something like that. Mm. And, uh, we would have been number one in Maryland, but standard solar, big solar company had bought a company and, uh, you, you could actually do that. I don't know if you could still do it, but back then you could, you could acquire companies and count it as well. So if they had done it organically, you know, we would have been the top that they bought a company that was that was decent size so <laughs> ranked us but <laughs> what are you gonna do I, mean, I know i know but that's great though what what are some of the some of the ways uh beyond just naturally being competitive enough to try to get these awards and being inspired by you know previous uh management like uh richard johnson you mentioned were there things that he did to inspire you to you know not just getting the award, but also like tactics or things to do to, to have a great culture. Um, gr great culture. Not, not so much. I mean, you know, I, when I, I kind of look at, you know, I don't know if this is every entrepreneur, but you know, I had, I had a bunch of jobs before starting the company. And, um, when I, when I was starting the company, you kind of take inventory of all the best aspects of every place you ever worked and all the people that you worked for. And, and, uh, and sort of, I kind of think of it like a tour bus, you know, like a hippie tour bus, you know, with stickers all over the back, like this car mm. climbed Mount Washington. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like you take all the best things that you've picked up over your career. And then, you know, it's like when you're starting a business, it's like, Hey, I, I want to have the kind of business that I would want to work for. And so like when Richard's case, um, you know, Richard was, uh, I was in the Chicago office. We were headquartered in New York. I don't know how many employees we had when I was there, but um, we were a publicly traded company, so it was a decent-sized company. But Richard would come to Chicago and take us to happy hour and have beers with the team. And, you know, he was, on the one hand, you'd see him on CNBC and Wall Street Journal, but then he'd be sitting in a bar in Chicago talking to, you know, the frontline sales guys and gals that were, you know, I was right out of college. And so this guy is like, you know, this multimillionaire, bigger-than-life, great, you know, really charismatic guy who's like, you know, having beers with us, talking to us about the growth of the company, how much he appreciated what we did for the company and the calls that we made and closing business. And, and so I remember thinking like, and I had, I've had other bosses that were like that, you know, that were just, it's like, there's one person, you know, they're, they're not like, it's not like, you know, the business version and then the, the let loose version, um, sort of that authenticity of like, I think Richard is just a genuinely, you know, great guy, great entrepreneur. And, you know, wanted us all to succeed, recognize the role that we played in helping his company, you know, grow. Mm. And so I've, I've tried to do the same thing. No task is, uh, you know, is above me, um, as we built the business. And, you know, I mean, I have a very, I have a very specific way that I think about culture. Um, but I didn't sort of come up with that until, 
you know, a couple years ago. Um, so, you know, I, I think again, what I've tried to do with the company is like, be very clear about what we're trying to achieve, be very clear about the, the kind of the core values, the non-negotiables, and then do what you say, you know, kind of have your actions match your words always. Um, you know, and if you, if you just do that, mm. um, you know, I think you can end up with something pretty great. And I, I look at Richard, I look at a guy named Aaron Christensen, who was my boss at WorldCom. I look at Bob Perini, who is my business partner, is my business partner. Mm. Uh, one of them. They're all, you know, that's, they all operate the same way. Very you, consistent in actions and words. You, you'd mentioned kind of noting like some of the best, best things that these former bosses did and, and ideas that you, you had, um, as well. Do you, did, were you like, did you keep actual notes of these things to one day implement for yourself? Or is this something you just kept in the back of your mind or something you journaled or, or something like that? Uh, a little bit of, a little bit of all of that. I mean, I'm a, uh, I guess I'm, I don't, I don't know if there, there's probably a name for this, but I'm not smart enough to know what it is. I am sensitive <laughs> to, to sort of the personal dynamics within an organization. I mean, I'm sensitive to the way people behave. I'm sensitive to the way people act. Mm. Um, I'm just attuned to that or like I have an intuition about that stuff. I mm. always have. And so, um, I didn't like, um, uh, with Richard, you know, just, I, I remember thinking, I don't ever want to come across, I, I don't even want to, I don't even want to give the contrast, but I worked for another company where shortly after joining, it was a much bigger company. Shortly after joining, I started to get on the elevator with the regional manager and a teammate of mine grabbed my sport coat, my suit jacket from behind. Hmm. I remember I had a big Dunkin' Donuts coffee and my laptop bag in the other hand. And he pulled me out of the elevator, like as the door was closing with this regional manager. And I guess it was his executive assistant, you know, on the elevator. And like I spilled the coffee, I turn around, you know, kind of like WTF, like what in the world just happened? Yeah. And he said, you never, ever ride on the elevator with with that guy. Like, oh, my that gosh. Is that is the regional big cheese. And, you know, if he goes into the bathroom and you're you're going find a way to get out, you know, sneak out. Wow. And I remember thinking like, you know, it's like the ego of, of the whole situation. I remember thinking, I never, ever want to come across that way ever. Um, <laughs> and there are, you know, there's some people that are into that whole, like, you know, the, the invest, you know, I don't know if investment banks are like that or the law firms, but where it's a, this power dynamic, you know, where like, if you're a junior so-and-so associate, you don't, talk to a partner, you know, type of thing. It's like, yeah. But that's not the kind of environment that I'd ever want to work for. My, my immediate boss at uh, WorldCom would get in every single day at like 5.30, 6, 6.30 in the morning, every day. Hmm. Uh, most of the team didn't get there until, you know, maybe 8, you know, something like that. And um, I remember him telling me, uh, I came in early one day to meet with him or for training or whatever, and I remember him telling me, I am the youngest manager in WorldCom, like out of a hundred thousand plus employees, I'm the youngest. We're the youngest team. I had to get special permission, you know, to become, you know, manager, you know, this early hmm. and, and we are going to be number one and I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And that, so I come in early to, in support of you guys. And I remember thinking like kind of that servant leadership. Um, I remember thinking if I'm ever running a team, I'm going to be the first one in and the last person to leave. And I am here to support them 
you know, not, not vice versa. So, you know, again, I didn't ever write that down, but I went in early multiple times, you know, to get FaceTime with him. Hmm. Um, and he was, he used to say, I'm the king or I have mastered the WorldCom curveball. You know, meaning there was all this stuff, even after you sold something, there was all this stuff that had to happen before you got paid. Hmm. And in a huge company like that, it's so convoluted and you're not going to, you're not going to change the system by complaining about it. You've got to figure out how to navigate the system. And he was a, you know, a sharp guy. Hey, you're listening to the nice podcast with Dave Delaney. That's me. Visit futureforth.com to learn how we can transform the communication at your organization. And if you need a speaker for your next online event or your in-person conference, are we doing in-person conferences yet? Uh, soon, I hope. Uh, you can visit davedelaneyspeaks.com and uh, you'll learn more about working with me there. All right, let's get back to the show. Um, and, and then most of the rest of the stuff that I came up with came from Bob Perini. I worked for Bob for four and a half years um, before starting Blue Corona. We started Blue Corona together like co-founders. Hmm. And um, just about every other, you know, ism or thing that I've picked up is basically, you know, stuff that, you know, that Bob kind of uh, instilled in me or how he kind of ran his company. And I thought, man, this is fantastic. If I ever, you know, if I ever run a company, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. I'm just going to kind of mirror or emulate, you know, what he does. And, and you started what I've done. Yeah. And you started Blue Corona in 2008, was it? Yeah. Okay. Yep. 2008, 2007, we started, you know, I was working for Bob. He had a company, still has a company called Drink More Water, bottle mm -hmm. water delivery company. It's the largest privately held bottle water delivery company or one of the largest. I don't know if it still is, but um, in the country. And um, I was working for Bob and um, Bob had launched multiple companies kind of out of the water company. So I, I didn't go to work for the water company per se. I went to work for Bob. You know, mm. it's like, I want to work for this guy. He has a Harvard MBA. I was thinking about getting an MBA and he said, well, you know, rather than you try to get into Harvard and spend that kind of money and have to basically go full time because they don't have a part-time program, I'll give you a practical version. And if you're, you know, creative and as smart as you say you are, maybe we'll start a business together. Hmm. Um, and that he had already done that. So it wasn't like a tall order. It was like, you know, I see that guy running this company. Well, you know, he started as a X for me and see that lady over there, you know, she was doing this now, you know, pitch me on that idea. So, um, yeah, so I was working for Bob and in 2007, we were doing some things. We had built a piece of software for his business, uh, for the water business and, um, sort of repurposed it. And that became the core of, uh, of Blue Corona. That's fascinating. So, and, and you and Bob met, I mean, it sounds like he was a pretty powerful mentor as well to you. Did you, so you met as an employee for under, under him? Is that I right? I think I actually met him. Uh, you know, Bob always jokes around that history has a way of retelling itself. And, and this could be part, this could be one of the ways mm. um, I had a, like a weird career sort of, uh, you know, I, I sort of, uh, I took a, I did, a, I made a weird career choice. I left kind of tech sales and I went to work for a sports marketing firm. Hmm. Um, and when I was working at that sports marketing firm, one of the things that we did was we sold, uh, the sponsorships for local amateur events. So like think of like Chicago marathon, uh, DC triathlon, you know, cherry blossom, 5k, 10k, whatever, all those, 
all those events, there's companies that sell the sponsorships, you know, to Under Armour, to uh, Navy Federal Credit Union, et cetera, mm. et cetera. And they take a commission. And so um, I was working in Chicago. WorldCom had gone uh, <laughs> chapter yeah. 11. Right. Um, I was looking for a way to get back to the D.C. area, which is where I was from. Met this guy in Chicago who owned this sports marketing uh, firm with a regional office in D.C. So I moved back to the area and uh, drink more, as you might imagine, at running races and triathlons and bike races, drink more was always there as a water sponsor, right? With like the water station where the runners go by and, you know, on like a marathon, there's all those running stations where you basically run by, grab a cup of water and go. And so mm-hmm. drink more would be there as the water sponsor. So I met the guy who is a, a owner of blue Car- of a, sorry, of a drink more water mm-hmm. who worked for Bob. And I used to see him at all the events and we became kind of friendly. And one day he called me and said, I'm from Maine and my wife's from Maine and her parents are sick or we need to be closer to them. And I want you to come and interview for my job at Drinkmore. Huh. And I think I had met Bob once before mountain biking. Bob's a big biker, mountain bike, road bike. And back then I was a, I was a big cyclist. Hmm. And, um, <laughs> I guess it was actually a very little cyclist compared to what I am today. <laughs> um, I was much thinner back then. And, um, <laughs> and so I think I met Bob mountain biking um, but then, you know, really, you know, hadn't, uh, you know, hadn't put it all together until Phil, his right hand guy, you know, called me up and said, Hey, I want you to come in. And Phil was the vice president. That was his title at, at drink more. And I thought, you know, I'm a regional sales manager at that time. And I thought, you know, it might be kind of cool to, to kind of get out from just being in sales, you know, quote unquote, hmm. to, uh, learning more about the rest, you know, the rest of aspects of business. But drink more water was a really small company, like four or $5 million company at that time. Hmm. And, uh, so having worked for potjobs.com world these publicly traded companies, um, and then going to work for Bob, it was much different. You know, I didn't have like a budget or like, you know, there wasn't all this bureaucracy of, you know, the Worldcom curveball didn't exist. It was like, if I wanted something done, I could just say, Bob, I have a great idea and lay it out for him. And then he had the power to say, that's awesome. Do it. Or you're an idiot. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's talk about, there's a learning moment in here. <laughs> right. That's interesting. So, so with Bob, you could ride the elevator with him. Is we didn't have an elevator, but if we had one, <laughs> yes, I could ride an elevator with him. We went mountain biking together. We would go out to park city and, uh, yeah. park city, Utah and go on yeah. bike trips and stuff. And, and Bob is just like Richard. And again, maybe there's a whole different Richard Johnson that I don't know, but um, Bob, one of the things that I always admired about Bob was like, there is one, there is one Bob, you know, he is like, he, you know, it's not like he's at work with the work face on and then, you know, with his family and as someone else, right. um, you know, he's, I, I joke around, people talk a lot about work-life balance and I am not a preacher of, of just because I do something, you should do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I felt like with Bob was there was no there was no difference between like Bob was kind of always working and never working at the same time. Like work, he used to tell me like business is a game. It's a sport. It's, it's no different than like, you know, if you're into like video games or something, but Mm -hmm. only with business, it's, it's life changing when you win, you know, when you advance to the next level. And so, you know, we'd be on a plane flying somewhere, you know, on a weekend for like a fun trip, play golf or go biking and next thing you know, Bob would be back by like the restroom. This was, you know, might have been, uh, I guess it was probably post nylon, but Bob would be like waiting back for the restroom. 
it'd be like talking to some random guy, you know, about where we're going and, and whatever. And next thing you know, he'd come back and give me the guy's business card and say, like, when we get back, call this guy. He wants to set up. A, <laughs> he wants to talk about X or what we're doing with digital marketing for Dreammore. And I'm right. like, you, you met the guy like at the bathroom on the plane. Like, I don't <laughs> <laughs> and Bob's like, well, I just told him where we were going. And then I asked him what he did for a living. And then all of a sudden we were, you know, shooting the breeze. And, and, and so I'm the same way. I just, I don't draw these lines between work and home fun and toil. You know, right. I don't see it that way. Well, you've got to enjoy what you do. I mean, or you don't have to, but of course it's going to, it's going to make life pretty crummy. Through, yeah. I mean, I, and then when we have employees that, when we have employees, I had an employee once that said to me, you know, you're asking us to give up our life for Blue Corona. And and the vision is to help small businesses grow and create jobs and all this kind of stuff. And mm. we need a more compelling vision, you know, in order to, like, sacrifice our lives for the company. And I said, wait, just stop for a second. First, if what you've heard from all my ranting and, and speeches that I give to the company is that I'm asking you to give up your life, <laughs> like a mission for Blue Corona. I'm so sorry. Like I have have way uh, I have way miscommunicated hmm. um, my intention because I do not want you to give up your life. I do not want you to miss significant life events in the name of growing Blue Corona and helping our customers succeed. Uh, that's number one. Number two, our, our what we're passionate about. What I'm passionate about helping businesses grow. I mean. Elon Musk might want to uh, colonize Mars. I have, there's nothing I could be less interested in than colonizing Mars. Google right. might want to organize the world's information. I, I, again, I love Google and, and they're a key part of our business. There's nothing about that that, you know, that I'm uh, particularly into. So I, I said to that person who mentioned that to me, if that's how you feel, that would be like a big, red orange flag that this may not be the right place for you to plant your long-term roots. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, mm -hmm. I hope you find something that's more compelling for you. Um, and in the meantime, certainly do not give up your, your life in the name of helping blue Colonel win, because that's, that's, uh, you know, I get passionate and worked up about stuff, but sure. You what? might, you might've misinterpreted. I might've miscommunicated. <laughs> <laughs> what year do you think that was? Give or take. Probably 2013, 14, somewhere in that, okay. in that area. Yeah. I was curious because you started winning awards in 2012 and I was thinking this might've been one of those moments that you realized maybe you need to like communicate your own uh, goals for the company and for the culture itself more, you know, differently perhaps, or, or was there some revelation in that? Was it just like I've just never, one guy that misunderstood or was it maybe like, Oh wait, I should probably like really tell everybody, Hey, you know, this is not life. This is part of life. <laughs> no, we, you know, I, I will, um, I, I probably still err on the side of, uh, I mean, uh, we have, we have always tried to, you know, to grow the business, um, quickly, mm -hmm. um, to be the best at what we do, you know, to be the authority within our space. So like when we, we want it to be, when you think of home services, you know, the best digital marketing company out there, we, we want you to think of blue Corona and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe this is, uh, maybe this is a poor analogy, but it's like, you know, that's, would be more like winning, winning the gold medal than like winning your, uh, county's, 
you know, championship, right. you know, in like little league. It's, it's, there are a lot of companies that want to be the best in our space and that play in our space and, uh, on a national international level, um, mm. some that have raised, you know, millions of dollars, um, so that they're doing it on borrowed money to, in order to win that game, you're going to have to work your ass off. I mean, it's a combination of being creative, um, uh, you know, working smart and all that stuff, but that there is an element of just, you know, um, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to, uh, to, to try to achieve that goal. And, and we hold ourselves to a high standard. There's no, unlike in the Olympics, you know, there's no tangible, you know, you've done it. Uh, mm-hmm. Even when we think we might be the best, it's like, no, 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 we could still be, we could still be better. Right. That is not for, that's not for everyone. Um, that kind of intensity, but you know, we have out of a roughly a hundred employees, probably 50 have been with the company for five plus years mm-hmm. for, for those folks. A lot of our intense. I mean, they like that. Uh, yeah, they like like that intensity. That doesn't mean they don't take two weeks off and go to Thailand or, or um, you know, take vacations or you know, go on leave when they have kids. It doesn't mean that they don't do that stuff. Yeah. Um, some do. Some some don't. Um, we encourage it, but but I, I would also say you didn't really ask this, but I guess I've always been. I don't like being. I don't like being told what to do. I like. I like people that are inspiring. I mean, I'm an, I'm an inspirable person, mm-hmm. um, but I don't like being told what to do. So my goal in one ways as a leader has been to sort of uh, talk about the things that get me jazzed up. And if it gets you jazzed up enough to, to uh, find yourself lost in the work that you're doing or, or, um, you know, doing stuff like trying to um, help us, you know, innovate sort of beyond your, your, your role. Awesome. If it doesn't, that's cool too. <laughs> right. I'm not going to tell you you got to come in. You know, if you want to get promoted, you're going to have to put in the big. It's like I would I would never say it that way. Yeah. Um, and it's not true. We've had plenty of people that are just. We had a guy who's unfortunately no longer with us. Where um, he was a developer, and we had this project that we we're all doing, and as best we could tell, we had to copy stuff out of Excel and paste it into a browser, into like a field, a form field, and then hit enter or submit, let it kind of germinate and then repeat. Mm. And, uh, the whole, we had thousands of things that we had to do. So we divided up amongst the team. And at that time we were probably 30 people and I go over, I'm walking out to lunch and I go by his workspace and he's got his feet up on the desk. He's watching NCAA basketball at three screens, NCAA basketball, one screen chess on another screen. And the other screen is like, I don't know what's happening on the other screen. <laughs> and I'm like, Robert, what are you doing? Dude? Yeah. Like, we're all supposed to be doing this thing. Um, and he goes, uh, I am doing it. And he minimizes the one screen and he's written a macro. And the <laughs> macro is just automatically doing the work. Right. And I said, that's awesome. Have you shown everyone else how to do it? And he's like, it's not my fault. They can't. You know, they, they can't figure it out. And, you know, it's like, Robert, we need to talk. Yeah. Oh, man, he was so <laughs> like close. We play as a team, brother. Like, we are not in the uh, I'm better than you. I figure something out, a better mousetrap, yeah. and I'm going to exploit it, you know, at everyone else's, uh, you know, peril. But. Oh man, I might need Robert's number after the after <laughs> every time yeah, he, every time I'm doing data entry in a spreadsheet, oh, I'm yeah, thinking there's got to be a better way. You always want someone on your team who is just smart as hell and lazy. <laughs> <laughs> one of those people because 
they just are always going to look for like, how can I not do like work? How can I not do work? Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So did you, did you start blue Corona, um, as a home services? Like, was that who you were trying to service or did you just fall into that? Or like, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So, well, when we started, you know, again, we had built a, uh, a, a marketing kind of tracking platform for drink more water, mm-hmm. half of drink more's customer base. And at that time it was probably 10,000 customers. Half of them were uh, residential. Mm-hmm. So it'd be a home service, getting bottled water delivered to your house and half were commercial. And, um, and so I remember what, so we also had an office coffee business. So this was a bottled water company. One of the entrepreneurial ideas that I worked with, uh, it wasn't my idea. I was, I was running it for Bob was a, um, office coffee business. Like, Hey, we already have 10,000 customers. What can we overlay? What else could we sell? Right. So office mm-hmm. coffee, the Keurig was brand new, single cup brewers. So we got a Keurig distributorship and, and we were doing coffee. Hmm. I was doing a coffee demo at a plumbing company and it was a $15 million plumbing company. And again, my employer at that time was probably a $5 million company. So $15 million company was like, wow, this company is huge. Right. And, hmm. and they must be really sophisticated. And, um, I'm doing the coffee demo and the owner comes down and he's, and I'm walking him through the coffee brewer. And I said, Hey, I'm just curious. I do all the marketing for drink more water. Um, you know, as a plumbing company, residential plumbing company, you got to do a lot of marketing, yellow page ads and all that stuff. This was back way back 2006, seven. Hmm. And he said, uh, yeah. And I said, well, what, I'm just curious. We, we track all of our yellow page advertising and the, the leads are going straight down. The cost per lead is going straight up because the reps haven't lowered the ad prices at all. Hmm. Uh, their return on investment is terrible. I mean, it's like going like a hockey stick going the wrong way. And he just looked at me and he goes, how in the world would you know that? Like, how would you track that? And he grabbed his VP of marketing and he says, tell her what you just said to me. And I went through it again. And she was like, well, we we decide what to do with our ads based on our competitors. (laughs) So if our competitors running like a full page, four color ad in the yellow pages, the rep kind of tells us. And then we look at our budget and we do the same. And I went running back to Bob and was like, dude, we're in the wrong, <laughs> we're in the wrong business. I don't mm. want to run the coffee business because that has a geographic limitation. Mm. The, the guy that owns this plumbing company has no idea how any of his different advertising channels are actually performing. With the yellow pages, he, his vice president marketing bragged that they do whatever the competitors are doing using data from the sales rep. Mm. <laughs> it was like... <laughs> It was like, like literally like lemmings just running off a cliff together. Yeah. And, um, so that's, that's how, uh, you know, that's how that got started. And my point there is that we didn't start with, uh, home services per se, but some of our early customers were, we had a couple of early customers that were plumbing, HVAC, electrical, or some combination of those. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a bunch of bottled water companies, um, back then. Um, and then we had other, you know, realtors and, you know, we had some accountants, so we were not vertically focused and that's actually Bob always, um, sort of oddly to me, uh, Bob always discouraged me from verticalizing the business, which Hmm. is, you know, very popular these days to verticalize. Yeah. And Bob was very anti, um, you know, verticalization. So we were. Uh, up until 2018, in 2018, we probably had 45% of our customers were home services. 
Mm. Um, maybe 50 percent. So it was a big it was a big portion, the biggest single portion of anything, any vertical. Mm. But but we were not as laser focused on that. And then I hired a VP of sales and marketing and he said, why are you trying to be all things to all people? Right. You know, I, if you, if you want me to be the best in every one of these categories, the marketing budget's got to go way up because I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to have to go to every, you know, industry event. I've got to get, you know, content produced for every industry publication, case studies for every industry. Yeah. Um, so that's how we started narrowing the, uh, focus. And at that point, Bob, we had bought, I had bought shares from Bob. And so he was a smaller, still a shareholder, but he's a smaller, um, shareholder. And, you know, so it was sort of like, you know, if he disagreed, it was like, Hey man, I hear you, but we're, this is what we're doing. I love that. I love that. And, you know, I, uh, this, I, I, partly ask that for myself sometimes because I, I think about that a lot and the whole riches and niches line that you hear uh, so often. So, But you talked about also, and it made me laugh, and actually it was a question I had here regarding competitors and competition because, you know, talking about the Yellow Pages guys of just like following the other Yellow Pages guys mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, following their competitors. Uh, I was perusing your LinkedIn profile and there's a recommendation there from John Payne who wrote, I won't read the whole thing here. It's great though. I mean, it looks great, but he wrote Ben's company has been out, Ben, excuse me. Let me try that again. Ben's company has been one of my agency's closest competitors for several years, but I also consider him a colleague, a friend and an advisor. And he goes on from there, which I think is fantastic. Um, can you tell me a little bit about you know, relationships with competitors and how you, how you think about those? Yeah, that's, it's, uh, <laughs> as you might imagine, it's, it's a, uh, it's a fun and complicated subject. Mm. Um, I always, I find myself saying a lot that I almost, you know, it's like, I kind of, it's like I put on one set of glasses and I see the world through that set and then I'll take that set off and I'll put another set on and I see the world differently. Um, or maybe a different analogy would be like on one shoulder, I've got one voice saying like the world is, you know, there's abundance in the world and it's not you versus John Payne. Mm. It's you and John Payne versus like this enormous market. It's a huge world. Yeah. Um, on the other shoulder, I have, you know, a uh, voice saying, you know, this whole like, let's share everything, content marketing, tell everyone everything that you're doing because HubSpot says so. Right is, you know, there's an element of that, which is like mm, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger would, would have you believe differently. And for as successful as Darmesh and, uh, and Brian Halligan have been, I would, I would, uh, at this point, maybe years from now, I'll regret this, but I would choose Charlie, uh, Munger, you know, over, uh, you know, over, uh, the rest of the group. But, um, but anyway, so going back to that is I think, um, a, you know, I'm huge on competitive analysis. Yeah. Um, and, and sort of, uh, and so on the one hand, like when that, uh, VP from the mark, from the plumbing company said, Oh, we do whatever the competitors do. Um, yeah. So I, I'm not for doing whatever the competitors do, but trying to get into the minds of the competitors, like what could they be seeing that I'm not seeing or, you know, what are they doing and how does it appear to be working? What data can I get, you know, about that? I'm big on that. And then with, kind of, uh, frenemies. Um, you know, I, I think, I think there is, um, I, I, I do think like if you look at digital marketing, 
it is a it is a industry in its infancy still, mm. um, which means it's it's expanding so rapidly that it it really is rarely, you know, me versus you. Um, there's just so much business out there to be had. Right. Um, so that's one, you know, set of thinking. And the other thing is that I think, um, I, I see competitors as, as nuanced. Like, even though John said we were a competitor, we might have been a competitor for ranking for Maryland SEO or something goofy like that, which right. might have been important to us like 10 years ago. Um, but I can only remember one time in all the years that John had his company that we came up against them for a, um, for a piece of business. Hmm. Um, and I don't remember who got it, but if he, if they got it, we shouldn't have got it because they were, they were doing things kind of executing a different playbook than we were. Hmm. And sort of like if you were going to, if that was going to work for you, we probably wouldn't have been the, you know, the right people. Like I think John was like big on link building and all that kind of stuff. And we were, we were not doing any link building back then, Hmm. um, at all. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I just, I guess I look at it in a, in a more nuanced, um, in a new, more nuanced way. I think at first pass, you can look at a lot of companies and go, oh, you know, how could you guys be, be friendly? You're, um, you know, your competitors. Um, I also think you get to a size where, you know, it's, it's much more interesting to me to talk to a competitor and kind of understand our gross margins and, you know, why are you putting managers below the line instead of above the line? And how do you think about this? That's more valuable than, you know, than some stuff that I might give away. And one final piece, which I'm sure you're, you're aware of, and I'm sure a lot of your audience is aware of is you, you also realize when you've been running a business for a while that the idea, the, the knowledge that is like the tiniest piece, the execution is everything mm-hmm. and executing is, is brutal. Like if you're a non-technical founder, and someone showed you their software platform and that was like your missing thing. I would bet against you every time trying to like take what you learned about this other company's technology and bolting it onto your service company, you know, now that you're aware of it, if you're a non-technical founder. Right. Um, it's just, it's so much harder than people appreciate. So you can share away. Like Darmesh and Brian could tell you everything you could ever want to know about building a multi-billion dollar SaaS platform. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> you <can go> <laughs> start a HubSpot too? Good luck. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I spoke, I think the last time I spoke at their conference was 2015. And at that time, I think we were, I think there was like 13,000 attendees. And, uh, actually I mentioned Mark Marin earlier, the WTF podcast guy. He, he was up against me at the same time and he was way bigger draw. And I was like, uh oh. And, uh, thankfully I had a few hundred people show up. So that was good. <laughs> now, just interestingly about HubSpot is, uh, we were, uh, recruited to be like a, a, a VAR back in the day. I don't remember when it, I thought it was after we made thing 500. So it was probably 2013 or something. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember we got their terms and conditions to be a VAR and they had in there, it was like very subtle that, you know, once you brought someone on board, you know, you entered them into like their Salesforce account or whatever, and you tagged yourself as like the VAR, their team could go out and sell 
services directly to, you know, quote unquote, your client. It basically became their client. Oh. And, and so Bob's comment to me was, you know, maybe um, HubSpot is so focused on the software that they don't care and, you know, they're not actually going to uh, take opportunity away from all these partners. But when we were growing the office coffee business, we grew all these accounts and then Keurig got bought by Green Mountain. Hmm. Green Mountain started soliciting our delivery customers directly, allowing them to order online for less than we were buying the coffee at wholesale. Oh man. Just price. Like what if, what if that were to happen? What if HubSpot were to suddenly start offering SEO services and just reach out to all your customers. I mean, they're a venture back. This was before they went public venture backed. Mm-hmm. Now on the flip side, if you stay out of their ecosystem, once they go public, they may start to realize that it's faster to buy growth than to grow organically. Mm-hmm. And if all of your customers were not, you know, uh, already hooked up to them and you had, you know, a thousand customers, they might come along and pay a hefty multiple because then you can sell HubSpot through your thousand customers. And so we, we Mm. turned away from that and I was envious at times because I'd see, you know, sort of what were kind of little companies at inbound, you know, giving, giving speeches and, and, you know, writing books and Brian's like the forward in the book or whatever. And I'm like, man, that would be like, I should have hitched my, my horse to that, you know, to that carriage. But, um, you know, ultimately I think, I don't know that it would have, you know, they haven't done what I worried that they would do. Right. Um, but I also am not sure, you know, that we would have been any better off, you know, having done that. I noticed a video that you posted on your LinkedIn page. I didn't check your other socials, but I imagine it's probably there too, which is a really great compilation of yourself and your team members all thanking uh, healthcare workers. And I thought that was just such a, a nice, a nice move. Um, <laughs> Poorly produced uh, good thought. That was at the beginning of the pandemic. And yeah, I, um, we had a bunch of employees that had, you know, spouses who were, you know, nurses, yeah. EMTs, firefighters. Yeah. It was like, man, what, what can we do? Yeah. I think it was nice. I mean, in fact, I liked it even, uh, in it's, you know, as you said, like kind of poor quality, <laughs> like lower budget yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I think a super slick Super Bowl ad would have been less effective. I think, I think it was more genuine coming across as it did that, you know, everybody's at home working from home clearly. Um, and each person at home has their own setup and some know, you know, this better than others or whatever. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day, you know, production value wasn't the important point. It was, it was the, the message there. Um, and to that point or to that question, and I know we're running short on time. So I'm going to ask you this question, then jump into the lightning round and we'll be wrapped up. But I, I wanted to ask you how, how has the pandemic been for your, culture specifically, you know, how are you, how are you handling things obviously differently, uh, given sort of where we are right now or where we've been? Yeah, I, I, um, every time I think about that, I, you know, I'm conflicted because on the one hand, um, you know, I think we have really thrived, you know, through the pandemic, um, in, in a bunch of different ways. And I'll, I'll hit on a couple at a really high level. Um, but I, I, where I get, um, where I'm torn is that, 
you know, I am, you know, it's almost like a, uh, you know, what is it? It's like Murphy's law that you say how great everything is going. And then all of a sudden you know, you're blindsided. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I don't want to discount how difficult it's been for, you know, not every one of our employees has a great work from home setup. Not every one of our employees, like my wife was a teacher, but stopped working a couple of years ago. So when our kids were at home, when schools were remote, my wife was in the kitchen and we had one kid in the dining room and one kid in the family room, my wife in the middle. And whether they needed help with a printer or their math problem or Zoom or whatever, she was just darting all day back mm-hmm. and forth between the two kids. So I didn't have to do any of that. I just had to deal with the global pandemic and how it was affecting our business. Right. Um, but for the for the two working parents or partners where, you know, they're triaging kids and kids are running in covered with like super glue and they're in a zoom. With <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, in no way can I imagine how um, difficult that was. So mm. one thing I will say is, um, you know, one is we had our whole business is in the cloud. Um, all of our employees are digital natives. You know, they're very comfortable with zoom and video chat and chatting and, um, all the technology gimmicks that can help you kind of navigate, you know, your day. Uh, so that's, so we had a leg up there as opposed to like, you're muted, you're muted, Bob, you know, <laughs> you know, like that kind of thing. We didn't have any of that. That's good. Number one. Number two, we had these rituals built in to the culture, like the weekly huddle. And then we added some new ones immediately. Um, Mike Wilson, who's our president, like me, is also very attuned to you know, sort of cult. He's a, he is like the best coach manager I've ever experienced in my career. Yeah. Wow. And so he just intuitively knows, you know, if we if we can't all be together, we need other things that can create this sense of team. Um, so I, I want to say our culture got better because we had an office in Maryland and an office in Charlotte. And when everyone went remote, all of a sudden there was total parody you know, whereas before, um, we're not split up geographically. So you'd have a team, uh, like account manager, designer, writer, pay-per-click person split between the offices. They're mm. not all together. Um, but you know, when there are groups of people together, you know, you have people that are going to lunch, people that are kind of chit-chatting around the office that develop these subcultures. Um, and you know, I didn't realize how much that had affected us until we went a hundred percent remote. Yeah. And then that was diminished. It wasn't gone because people still live in the same. Some people still live in the same city and they get together outside of work. Um, but but we've done very well. But I just, you know, I'm not, I'm not I don't have this. Uh, I'm never going to get on LinkedIn and say, like, why do we ever need to go back to the office? You know, offices are stupid. You know, we don't need that. Like, yeah, our culture is fantastic. You know, even remote. I, I'm never going to do that because I I don't know if that's going to. um I don't know if that's, you know, we, all I will say is we show up every day and are just very deliberate and, and sort of constantly sort of watching and, and triangulating and, you know, how's the team seem to be doing? What are the issues that we're having? You know, what's getting better? What's getting worse? And, uh, and again, what do we need to change to help us get closer to the vision of what we're trying to do in our goals? Mm. And, um, I, I don't pretend to know, you know, we opened the Charlotte office, um, for hoteling, um, and sort of more on a limited basis. And then, you know, we were supposed to go down to Charlotte for our quarterly business review, 12 people. And 
the governor gets on like two days before we're supposed to go down there and says, you know, cases are spiking. Right. You know, wear a mask at the office. Try not to come in if you if you can avoid it. And it's like, geez, there goes that. There goes that plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of businesses are now looking for creative ways to kind of keep teams engaged, you know, virtually. Um, I, I'm finding that myself in, in a lot of the stuff that I do. So let's move on to the lightning round. I've got a question about uh, completing this sentence. So the sentence is nice guys and gals finish. <laughs> Depends. <laughs> it depends. I'm a, uh, I'm a, um, what's the guy's name who wrote give and take Adam Grant, Adam Grant. I'm an Adam Grant fan. I think you can be nice, but there's a, uh, the people that seem to do the best are not, are not, um, I don't know what you'd even call it. They're, you know, they're, um, I, don't, I can't remember what he calls them. They're like givers and takers. Or? Yeah. Well, there's some, but there's a, something in the middle. You, you know, I'm an anti-taker, anti-mean. I would say choose kind. So I would, I would like to say, you know, just um, you'll have a much better life, you know, being nice and and choosing to be kind. Um, but but Adam Grant talks about the people that do the best are those that are sort of tactful. You know, they're not pushovers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nice, nice to a fault, I suppose. Yeah. I, I believe in like being nice. I, I kind of obsess around nice over kindness in a way because I, I don't, you know, downplay kindness. Obviously kindness is a huge and very important thing in, in life and in everything we do, uh, and, and in just being good people. But I also think that, yeah, the same thing, like you can be nice and be kind, but also, you know, defend your family or your peeps if you need to, uh, however you need to. So, you know, and that may not be the kindest thing necessarily, but it's still being nice to the most important people and, and you know, the stakeholders or the mm-hmm. your family or whomever. So uh, yeah, I'm a big uh, Adam Grant fan too. Think again. I'm in the middle of that right now. Have you read that? Not yet. No. Oh my no. gosh, man. I'm going to uh, mail out a lot of copies of this to uh, people just ahead of the next presidential election because this is mandatory. Is that, is that the one where he talks about how to change your mind? Yes. I, I heard him on a podcast um, in a – I can't remember. Farnham Street, I think, was uh, mm-hmm. is the name of it. Yep. So I heard him talking through that, and I loved that episode, but I haven't read the book. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm about halfway through. I'm kind of a slow reader, but it's, uh, it's a fantastic book. And I mean, it's really well written anyway. He does a great job of weaving in, you know, really interesting stories and things. But, uh, yeah, just a, a, a fascinating book. So speaking of book, what's books? What's a nice book that you would recommend to the nice makers? Winner's Dream by Bill McDermott. That is my hands down favorite business book. As far as I can tell, I could be wrong, but as far as I could tell, Bill McDermott, who is now the CEO of uh, ServiceNow, but he was the CEO of SAP, mm. um, is, you know, one of those folks that, again, walks the walk, you know, seems like a genuinely, you know, just a fantastic leader. Um, and if the, the book is basically an autobiography. And if you listen to it, if you're an Audible fan and you listen to it, it's Bill speaking which is kind of cool because he's a you know pretty big shot to be reading his own book. But mm. my only comment there was put Bill, listen to him in regular speed, and then put him in 1.25 speed 
and tell me <laughs> if he doesn't sound better. He's from New York, which, you know, New Yorkers are known to speak quickly. But if I ever meet Bill in person, I'm going to let him listen to himself in 1.25. <laughs> and I, I'd just be shocked if he doesn't agree with me that just a little bit faster and he just would be like a, you know, just be perfect. I have a, I have a, a, a tip for you, uh, when consuming audiobooks or podcasts, which is typically like when you listen, or at least when most people listen to audiobooks or podcasts, they're doing something else. They're working out or they're driving somewhere or whatever. They're not just sitting there listening usually. Um, mm-hmm. so, and, and I'm a big, like every book I read or digital book I read, not nonfiction. Uh, or the actual hard copy, I will take tons of notes within the book because I, and then I'll return and transcribe those notes later into like a blog post or something. So, I, so I retain the information basically. And, and one thing I was struggling with, with listening to audiobooks was I'd be driving and I'd hear something interesting and then I'd keep driving and I, it would be gone. So what I started doing was taking a screenshot of the podcast app or the, you know, uh, audible app, uh, take a screenshot of it in the timeline and then go back to that timeline later to re-listen to that part. Hmm. So I use, uh, audible and there's a, I think it's called clips. Okay. And so you hit clip and then I would record, um, voice to tech. I'm usually hiking when I'm listening to them and I would okay. just record the, a description of the part, but then the thought, the, the problem that I have is, um, I just, it takes me forever to get for the same reason that you're mentioning. It takes me forever to get through stuff because I have like epiphany after epiphany, idea after idea. Right. And, um, I know that if I don't record it in the moment, you know, I just will, I'll lose it. Yeah. It's actually fascinating. Like you think of how spoiled we are now. I've been watching the, Amazing. I'm, I'm like, I like the Beatles. I've always respected the Beatles, but I've never gone out and bought any Beatles music, but I, you know, I like the Beatles and, um, I've been watching the HBO or the Hulu series with, uh, Paul McCartney and Rick Rubin. Have you seen this? No, it's, it's fantastic. But, um, there's a scene when Paul McCartney's talking about yesterday and how he dre- dreamt, literally dreamt that song up and woke up. And, and thought of that song, like realized, like had the melody already in his head and was scrambling. He was at his girlfriend's place. So he rushed over to her piano to play the song, play the melody out to help him remember it. And then he rushed home. He didn't write music. He doesn't know how to read or write music. Mm-hmm. And so then he rushed home to get his guitar to start playing it because at the time, you know, we didn't have like recording devices mm-hmm. just right next to us. So, uh, pretty fascinating. So we've come a long way, baby. Yeah, yeah, that sounds <laughs> awesome too. So, how is Ben nice to himself? How is Ben nice to himself? I'm not sure that I always am. I've been better since the uh, with the pandemic, just in being, uh, you know, just being conscious of, uh, you know, sort of again the little voice in my head, which is my worst critic, mm-hmm. and and doing sort of like a pattern interrupt with that. Um, and, and just in doing that, I just realized how often I just beat the crap out of myself. And again, I don't remember who said this, Dan Harris or someone yeah. was talking about, you know, to the extent that that little voice is useful, you know, there is a utility and sure and that kind of stuff, but you have to recognize when you've gone past the line where it's gone from useful to, uh, to damaging. And so I, I think these days I'm, 
I'm pretty good. You know, when I make a mistake, when I flop on my face, if I do something, you know, embarrassing, you know, I say something in front of the team and go, why in the world did I say that? <laughs> you know, I have, I have, you know, kind of the ability to go, oh, you know, it's like, it's like one of those things that you look back on and you just, you kind of laugh. I, I, uh, during the pandemic, you know, without traveling, I had the ability, you know, to focus more on my health and my diet. And, you know, I'd have, I would have days where I would just lose it, you know, and just eat a bunch of crap. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in the past, I would have really like given, given myself an earful. And, uh, it was like, you know what? Messed up. Start, start over tomorrow and, uh, just get it back on, on track. You know, one mess up, you know, does just, I've become more long term, you know, focused and a little bit more patient with each passing year. I get a little bit more patient with myself. That's great. And Dan Harris is awesome. I'm a big, uh, well, I don't know if big, but I, I do, uh, like I meditate and practice mindfulness as much as I can. And, and, uh, but I'm, I, I still consider myself a total novice, uh, even though, you know, maybe been yeah, a year that, or two. I thought that, that part in his book was just so good. At, he, at one point, he kind of says, you, you must be asking yourself, you know, if you're listening to his book, like, you know, how do a bunch of people in New York City, which is like the most aggressive, career <laughs> place in the world. Um, yeah. you know, how can you be Zen? Like when people are trying to steal your job, you know, get the promotion, all that kind of stuff. And and that was up until that point of the book, I was kind of thinking like, how does all this, this Zen like stuff is great. If you have a trust fund and, you know, and <laughs> yeah, right. Right. You just hang out. But like, you know, this is a competitive, competitive world. And so when he said, you know, to the, to the extent that it's helpful, you know, it's like you, you can use it, but you got to learn when to, uh, to basically shut it off. And, uh, I started realizing I go way past where that was helpful. Um, so I've become more, uh, nice to myself in that regard. Yeah. 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 I like that. And if you had a billboard, what would it say? If I had a billboard, what would it say? This is supposed to be lightning, right? <laughs> uh, under promise over deliver. I like that. Ben, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. It's been such a pleasure getting to know you and and uh, learn from you. So I, I really do appreciate your time. I appreciate you having me. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for listening to the next podcast. Theme music provided by Alistair Crystal at alistaircrystal.ca. Hey, if you enjoyed the conversation, please take a moment to leave us a review. The links are in the description. I'll have more of that soon. Did you know that new subscribers of the Nice Baker email newsletter receive a free copy of my little ebook, Improve with Improv? Each Friday, I share nice stories, tools, tips, and much more, and you can grab it now from nicemaker.co or by clicking the link in the episode description. I'm Dave Delaney. Take care and be nice. <laughs>